Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. Hello and welcome to this CGTN special programme. As the annual two sessions ends, we consider China's new modernising journey and where it might lead the world. Stability, development and prosperity. That was the message from China's President Xi Jinping as China's first two sessions since China opened up post-pandemic came to an end. The emphasis was very much on common prosperity, peaceful development and especially modernization. On the new journey of building a great modern socialist country and advancing the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, we should unswervingly advance high-quality development. We will fully and faithfully apply the new development philosophy on all fronts and accelerate efforts to create a new pattern of development. We will fully implement the strategy for invigorating China through science and education, the workforce development strategy and the innovation-driven development strategy. So what does all that mean for China and the rest of the world? In this special program, we'll be hearing from experts from across the globe to get their take on the modernization of China. We start by speaking to Danilo Turk, former president of Slovenia and now the chair of the Club de Madrid, the world's largest forum of former heads of state and government. Danilo Turk, absolute pleasure to have you here in the studio with us at CGTN Europe. Um, now, the two sessions gathering was very much about modernization in China. And as we heard there from President Xi Jinping, the advance of high quality growth. What do you think that means for China? Well, I think that the key is uh, common prosperity for all. That's one of the key ideas, key principles of development in China today. And probably the one which will require the most uh, serious uh, work and some innovation. And I'm speaking as uh, somebody from Europe who knows how difficult it is to transform societies which are aging and where new technologies are constantly changing the social economic landscape. So common prosperity for all in China after this uh, decades of very fast growth, which has created inequalities, will be a very big and important challenge. To deal with and of course the party documents that we have seen and the two sessions have uh, promised have promised progress in that regard so i believe that that's the most important aspect to be watched and what impact will all of that have on the rest of the world which do you think that the rest of the world understands just how china really works well there's this is a very good question and i am not a specialist who can give you a definitive answer to this question but obviously China is and will remain a major market for the whole world. China is the factory of the world, but not necessarily the same kind of factory as it used to be in the past two decades. So I think China will continue to be an extremely important partner to all other actors in the world, including European Union, including United States, of course, and other major players. And of course, China will remain a key player in its Belt and Road Initiative. So I think that in all these areas of the world, the development of China will be watched very carefully. And of course, it will be important to adjust the forms of cooperation to the progress which will be made. President, you also emphasized the importance of people 
in terms of modernization of China, this new journey to, to rejuvenate yes. um, the, the, the nation. How important do you think that is, people? Yeah, well, I, I see this as a mainly intergenerational question, because new generation is coming to the fore. The generation which has led the rapid growth of China is aging slowly, and the younger generation may have different needs, new needs, and uh, the needs which are partly related to taking care about the older generation and partly raising new families. So the question really relates to social development and I think that that's very important to keep in mind and there I think comparison with experiences from other countries which have gone through similar processes of quick growth, aging population, social policies, all that will have to be, all have to be in the focus. And I believe that intergenerational aspect is going to grow in its importance. And that's something you also emphasised, isn't it? This, this people-centred philosophy it needing to be implemented in such a way that, that it's fair and, and, and balanced and, yes. and, that, and doesn't exacerbate the gap between old and young, um, rich and poor. How difficult do you think that's going to be for a country with well over a billion people? Yes, well, that's um, another good question. Uh, as we have seen in all societies, I mean, the questions of income inequality, wealth inequality, have grown in the past decades. And uh, I think in every part of the world, this problem is being raised nowadays. Therefore, uh, we also have to think about it. We have to figure out how to develop a appropriate ways of improved health care, improved care for the elderly, improved care for children, making conditions for young people to establish families and to get housing and all that more affordable and more easily available. So these are the kind of things which I believe everywhere in the world remain unresolved. I mean, they are not resolved in a perfect way anywhere. And I think China will again have an opportunity to show, all right, we have demonstrated the world that high growth rate, rapid development, uh, and all these other technological things are something we master. Now mastering social development will be another new phase in building this modern society, a society with uh, Chinese characteristics, new, modern, prosperous, socialist society. And how they might all of that affects China underpinning the global economy? I think that the growth level in China will remain solid and, and that's, that's important news for the world. As we know right now China has taken a very serious uh, look at the growth rate in 2023 and I think that uh, the promise of 5% or you know, close above 5% is uh, very positive news for the rest of the world because that means that China will remain a very important partner which will help feeding growth in other parts of the world as well. So I think that right now in the short run uh, we should be satisfied. But then in the longer run we have to figure out which areas of cooperation will be in the forefront. I mean industrial cooperation is, has been uh, in the forefront so far, uh, investment in infrastructure was very important, but we have to figure new things. For example, healthcare. Uh, President Xi has several times uh, suggested that China may welcome participation of foreign partners in developing healthcare and well, not only health facilities but also production of medicine and everything else that goes with healthcare. 
So, I mean, this is potentially a very big area of cooperation, but not fully developed so far. So I think in, in this new socio-economic framework, the world will have to figure out what kind of uh, investment will be uh, important for the future. There was quite a lot of talk at these two sessions about China taking a bigger role in managing global affairs, uh, which Xi Jinping said would add positive energy to world peace yes. and development. How, how do you see that playing out? Well, um, another good question, and I would say another encouraging sign is the recent agreement between uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. I think that's a concrete example which shows that China is serious with this general orientation of taking a more active role or as active as possible role in, in global affairs. Last year we have heard uh, President Xi speaking about a new global security initiative. Now the question is how does one advance in this global security initiative which is a kind of a very broad framework for foreign policy in the future. But I think with the Iran-Saudi Arabia agreement we see a concrete example. Another concrete example which I would like to see developing in the coming months is the role of China in bringing peace in Ukraine. This of course is a very big problem globally and in particular in Europe. China has produced an interesting framework on 24th February, a 12-point framework for peace in Ukraine. And now of course the question is how does one advance from here further? Now with the Iran-Saudi Arabia program we have seen that it is possible to have first a solid conceptual framework and then specific steps forward. In the case of war in Ukraine this will be of course more difficult but I think that also it is quite necessary. And in terms of the Saudi-Iran rapprochement, do you think China gets enough credit for, for breakthroughs like that? I mean historically it has never been an aggressor. Yeah. Well, China is in a way a new player with this sort of large initiatives. In that sense, I believe that the world still has to adjust to this new role of China, which can be a very positive role. Uh, now, many commentators now see <coughs> the Saudi Arabia-Iran agreement as something that shows a relative decline of the United States. I believe that that's only a very small part of the picture. The bigger picture is that China is a new player which can bring positive energy into the situation and uh, that does not necessarily mean a deficit for the United States. That just means a different dynamic in the region which I think could be to the satisfaction of everybody. And I would urge this kind of a more positive mentality to start prevailing. We have inherited too much from the past. I mean, competition, confrontation, Cold War and all that stuff. I don't believe that this is the way towards the future. One has to look for the positive ingredients with this new ambition of China can bring into the global political affairs. Daniel Turk, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Still to come here on our New Journey special, The Green Revolution, how China plans to lead the way to a cleaner future. Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. Welcome back to our New Journey special. This year's two sessions was very much focused on the modernization of China and the economic impact that will have. New Premier Li Chang addressed the issue in his first speech after taking office. We will remain steadfast in deepening reform and opening up. As we often say, 
Reform and opening up is a crucial move that has made China what it is today. In the historical process of advancing Chinese modernization and realizing the second centenary goal, we must continue to firmly pursue the path of reform and opening up. We will keep up to the direction of socialist market economy reform, promote high level opening up and inject stronger vitality into China's development by deepening reform. Joining me now are Bert Hoffman, former director for China at the World Bank, Marcella Musa Bellew, who's the executive director of the Albanian Institute for Globalization Studies, John McLean, OBE, chair of the UK's Institute of Directors and the China UK Business Development Centre, and Chunping Shi, senior policy fellow, Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment. Thank you all very much for joining. I'm going to start um, with you, Bert. Now, these two sessions has been all about modernization. Um, what do you think we've learned about the future of China? Well, look, I, I think China is now defining its next stage of development, really. And, and Xi Jinping, last year at the 20th Party Congress, has, has defined this socialist Chinese modernization. And that's quite particular, i.e. is modernization of common prosperity for all. So not just for a few, but for everybody. It's the modernization of material and cultural ethical advancements, so not just material, but much more broader. And it's the modernization of harmony between man and nature, so uh, to keep the environment uh, whole as well. And finally, it's a peaceful development. So it's, it, I see it as China's goals for the next phase of development. And of course, that's very important for the National People's Congress to debate on how one can give legs to these broad concepts still, and what specific policies would need to be pursued to achieve it. You talk about it being a broad concept, but Marcella, there's no one size fits all, is there, when it comes to modernization? And, and China's modernization isn't westernization, is it? Actually, uh, for us and the rest of the world, we have been observing this Chinese style modernization since the, the first word were, were said in the 20th Congress in October, but also now with the two sessions when we are seeing the implementation in deeds and in laws and in policies of this Chinese-style modernization. And uh, I believe that the Chinese-style modernization has two specific characteristics which are inclusive and peaceful. And most of all, I believe that it provides different perspective on modernization and it opens up new avenues for developing countries, countries especially, and also offers the Chinese approach, I believe, to build a more humane and national and international structure. And also, I believe it's based on a deeper understanding of time and history, and also in the understanding that uh, every country's path is different, so every country has to find what better suits ethnodernization for them. I want to pick up what you said about it, not just inclusivity, but also people, because I wonder if you think that the sheer size of China's population is possibly a big challenge for, for modernization. Well, uh, I believe that up, up to now, uh, the track record for China with the sheer size is uh, truly outstanding. And actually for us, that we want, for countries like ours that want to modernize and develop, we look up to that kind of model and we look up to that kind of uh, uh, development pattern and modernization. 
And again, here I would like to add you something that is quite anecdotal. Some years ago, I was traveling from Beijing to Europe in a, in a business trip. And after four, and four hours and 50 minutes, I was still in Chinese territory. So I was traveling five hours in air and I was still in Chinese territory. Imagine the work, the policies, the uh, implementation of those policies. And John, I wonder what you think the opportunities are to, to drive modernization in terms of international businesses. What's the offer there? What about for international businesses who are looking to invest in China? Well, I think the key thing is for China to really advertise that it, that it is now open for business. I know that that is true internally, but to get the message out and to overcome the uncertainties that existed for the last few years, that is still prevalent. But in terms of the offer that's available, the Chinese population is growing older. Therefore, kind of pensions are a significant area for development. As as is any form of asset management. And then, of course, there's the kind of biggest area which is true for all of us, which is anything to do with kind of green, green energy, alternative energy sources. So if you put all that as a package, there's a significant amount to go to, but it's really dependent upon the local provinces and indeed the government to kind of really market what they want from inter international businesses. I'm pleased you brought up the green agenda because something that stood out for me from the two sessions blueprint was lucid waters and lush mountains are invaluable assets. So sustainability, green growth, they're going to be a key pillar of China's modernization, aren't they, Chung Pingqi? Yes, indeed. I mean, if we look back, well, China has achieved a really rapid economic growth over the past four decades with different things serving as the drivers of growth for different periods. For example, in the 1970s, we saw key reforms in agriculture and household institutions. And in the uh, 1980s, brought support for township and village enterprises. And in the 1990s and 2000s, China then moved to a strong export-oriented manufacturing model to drive its economy. We know that in the more recent past, the drivers of growth have shifted more heavily to uh, property development and infrastructure investment. However, we are clear that none of these drivers will be able to serve China's growth indefinitely. And China needs to think about the new growth, the new drivers of growth for the, for the next few decades. And we know that the old growth model uh, featured by high carbon uh, infrastructure and extensive use of fossil fuels is not sustainable. And uh, the transition to net zero, the tackling of adaptation and resilience and looking after the, our natural environment should actually be the new growth story of this century. But what do you make of China's green transition and the impact it's having not just on China's economy, but also on the rest of the world? It's hugely important, of course. The, uh, China is the largest greenhouse gas emitter in the world, and therefore China's targets, the net zero by 2060, are incredibly important for the rest of the world. What is also important is, is really China's capacity to manage that transition. And uh, what China has done for solar 
is really incredibly important for the world. As, and we have cheap solar now competitive with coal because of China and China's scale. If China can do that in other technologies that are critical for that transition, such as hydrogen, such as high voltage transmission, all kinds of other electric vehicles, all kinds of other technologies necessary for that transition, that's going to be very helpful for the world. Chungping, your institute was involved in a report prior to the two sessions, which proposed um, a, a new economic model to the Chinese government based on well-being. How do you see that working? It shows that uh, this is actually a very positive, attractive growth story and could result in even more positive set of outcomes for, for the people. We know that in China, like many other countries in the world, aims to advance the climate agenda with continued uh, strong economic growth. So in the report, we have explained that economic growth and the environment can actually go hand in hand through adopting a new growth strategy that is based on well-being instead of GDP. And in the past, uh, we know that China has raised the, the concepts such as the green GDP, and there has been uh, difficulties around the measurement and implementation. And what we have proposed in our report is a national statistical system based on social well-being to be used alongside the existing accounting system based on GDP. And we think that the multiple dimensions of well-being embodied in the sustainable development goals offer a useful framework for understanding well-being objectives. So moving forward, we really hope that this report can provide some useful guidelines for the implementation and help translate these goals of carbon neutrality and high quality growth into operational action. So high quality growth, clearly an important pillar here. And John, where do you think the, the green transition sits in terms of those looking to trade with China? I mean, how far up the list of priorities is it? Oh, I think it's absolutely crucial. The, the green agenda is not just a China's agenda, it's a world's agenda. And in a kind of geopolitical environment where we have quite a few challenges in front of us, if there's a common language that all of us can speak to and all of us can actually action, then green surely is that. And therefore, from a business point of view, to start the dialogue or start indeed kind of following on business, green in all its facets can actually be a kind of um, a catalyst for action. And I think in a world where we have an awful lot of difficulty, if, we, if there is this common language, then that actually will help us all. Marcella, do you agree that this is a common language, that the green transition is also part of what's essentially China's modernization? is something the rest of the world can learn from. Absolutely. There are issues which are local, continental and global. And uh, each one of us are facing one or several of them at the, at the same time. However, if there is something that actually unites us all and is an issue for us all, this ecological transition and every, every impact that it might have, I would uh, also Recall here the, the, the metaphor that Kishore Mabuhani, I believe, would say about the, the boat. 
So in the era of globalization, uh, we are not living in different boats in a big ocean, but we have separate cabin, but in the same boat. So this boat is ours and we are all together in it. And what Chinese modernization I would, I would highlight is uh, highlighting time and again is, uh, I believe, the coexistence of health and wealth and also building an ecosystem that uh, puts together nature and green development first. But I will also highlight something else. Yeah. By the end of March, there will be 10 years since the proclamation of the concept community of shared future for mankind. So if we see the five pillars since 2013, President Xi Jinping said that one of the main pillars would be building these ecosystems that puts nature and green development first. So 10 years later, we are doubling down on that and China is doubling down on that commitment. That brings us to the end of this special program on China's new journey following the two sessions. From high speed to high quality growth, the green transition and the very real opportunities for the rest of the world to engage with China to ensure a peaceful and prosperous future. For now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the team here in London, goodbye.